Before we begin, I want you to take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Release. Take a deep breath. And release. Oh, feels good. Feels good because today we don't have to deal with a crazy subject that we've been dealing with all through 1 Corinthians. I was talking to Jared and he goes, oh, just think we're not dealing with sexual perversity or head coverings or even... You know, the strange things of gifts like tongues or healing. We'll get to that next week. Today we can rest at ease because our subject is simply love. We're just going to talk about love today. It's going to be so easy because love's all you need. It's all you need. And it's so simple. It's so simple. That is until we start reading 1 Corinthians 13. And in my mind, as I've been contemplating this, this might be the hardest message to give in 1 Corinthians 13 of all. Because this is hard. Because this is not about speculation. Like, what is tongues? What is prophecy? What is head coverings? Hmm. No, this isn't speculation. This is life. Am I doing this? Is this me? And when you ask that question, we're talking about Meddling is what people say. Don't meddle. This is meddling. This is going to ask you to be different. I'm going to ask you to open up 1 Corinthians 13. You can remain seated. I'm going to read out of the NLT because it's a good listening version. And then we're going to study through the ESV. But I want you to, as you listen to this, ask yourself, is this me? This is so, like, this is so beautiful on the ear, but it's so foreign to our hearts, hands, feet, and minds, because we don't do this. But I want to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, and then read chapter 13. So, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all, or the most excellent way. If I could speak all the languages of the earth, and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. One writer said noisy gong was like when you go to a pagan temple, they have these gongs that go bong. And they just ring hollow. There's nothing to them. That's what he means. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gain everything I have, or if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It does, keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, 
is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even a gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when a time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflection and a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then... I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So let's begin first with the structure of this chapter, because this chapter has a purpose. It's stuck right in the middle of gifts. Chapter 12, we talked last week about healing, prophecy, tongues, Next week, specifically, we're going to talk about tongues. In the middle is chapter 13. It's kind of like, I like to picture it like a cookie, like an Oreo cookie. The first part, it's going to have, it's going to talk about the purpose or the superiority of love over everything else. The bottom part is going to talk about superiority of love in regards to duration. Where every other gift is temporary, love lasts forever. In the middle, it's going to talk about the stuff of love. So you can say it like this. The first part, he's going to talk about how love is essential. Without it, nothing else matters. The last part, he's going to talk about that love is eternal. Gifts, some gifts are for now. Some gifts are always going to be here for now. But love is going to be here for now and forever. It endures. It's eternal. And then we're going to talk about how love is just, when you taste it, oh, there's nothing like it. There is nothing like the taste of real love. Nothing like it. So why did Paul write this chapter? Why did he put it in the scriptures? Did he put it in the scriptures so we can read it when my daughter walks down the aisle in her white dress and my grandpa can cry? Did did Paul write this so I can write, a, a romance card, you know, and send it in a Harlequin nice $7.50 card to somebody, and so they get it, and they're like, oh, love is patient, love is kind. It just sounds so nice. Is that why he wrote this? What is the purpose of chapter 13? It's very clear. It's to build us up as a body. It's for us when we go home and sit across from the dinner table with our kids. It's how we treat somebody after an argument and they've insulted us greatly. Love is for us. It says in 1 Corinthians 8.1, this is really interesting what Paul writes. He writes this, now regarding a question about food that has been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge. We all, we all have been given the spirit. We all know things. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens or builds the body of Christ. So the purpose of this chapter is so we can read it and we can build and encourage and make this place strong in Christ. 
It's not so I can cry. And it's not for calligraphy. Even though it looks beautiful in calligraphy, sounds really nice in poetic language, but this is to be applied. So let's talk about it. First part, verses 1 through 3, actually starting in chapter 2, verse 31 to verse 3 is the first part. And it's going to talk about love is essential. Let's read it, verse 1. And he writes, and I will show you, I will show you a more excellent way if I speak the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, that means I can see into the future or even tell you about what Scripture says now, theologically, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, some people can pray and things happen. I mean, really happen. But if I don't have love, eh, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body, to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So if I do all these amazing things, and really the book of, book of Corinthians written because the Corinthians, this church, they had amazing gifts, but they were really competitive. In fact, in the very beginning of the book it says, so who are you following? Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Jesus? Well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. There's like this competitive spirit. Chapter 4, verse 7, they were boasting about their gifts, and Paul says, who gave you those gifts? So why do you act as if you earned them? God gave them to you. Quit boasting. So there's a lot of boasting and competing. And he says, boasting and competing actually ends in noise, and you accomplish nothing, and you really become nothing when you boast. So in a sense, stop it. Stop doing that. Paul says when you do this, when you compete or try to be better than each other, even by using gifts, you're doing it without love. Let me give you an illustration. I'll use a soccer ball up here. Pastor Ken and I coached on a soccer team about 15 years ago. Pastor Ken played high school soccer. He's really good at it. He's a very good soccer coach. He actually coaches the girls' team at the high school. The very first thing Pastor Ken did when the kids showed up is he goes start running run and they they ran and they ran and they ran and kids would come back and say when do we get to kick goals and do headers and all of that he goes just keep running I'll tell you when and every practice he made him run I mean run a lot a lot and I remember asking Ken I said Ken these kids are getting tired he goes but Chris if they can't run they can't do anything else Sure, a kid can, what if a kid can kick a, a goal, but he can't even run five yards and he's tired and he picks daisies after that? You can't do anything. If all, after playing 10 minutes, all your kids just want to go sit on the bench and they can head better than anybody, who cares? But man, if I can get a kid in good condition, even if their skills aren't too good and all my kids are in condition, we'll run circles around the other team. If you can't run, all your other gifts are of no use. If you don't love, why do we even come to church? I was thinking through this. Let's say you can, let's say 
You can predict the end times better than everybody. You figured it all out. You know who the Antichrist is going to be. You understand that this COVID thing is actually, you know, an undercover thing to get us all into the one world government, you know, and you have it all figured out. But let's say I really don't even like being with you. Why would I even want to survive into the next? <laughs> Why do I even want to survive into heaven with you if I don't get along with you now? Who cares? I don't like you now, so what if you can figure it out? You don't love me. I, I'd rather not make it to heaven with you. Or let's say uh, you can perform miracles. You can heal people. Did you know that eventually, even if somebody's healed, eventually they will die again? I was doing some research on faith healing churches about 100 years ago. Most of them, all the people in those churches died. Did you know that? So let's say somebody that you heal gets sick again, but you don't go visit them in a hospital. You don't write them letters. You don't bring them. You don't sit with them when they're in pain and depression. What good is the healing? Well, let's say you can speak in tongues. Great. But let's say you can also speak in English, and when I understand your language, all you do is talk about yourself. <laughs> I don't care if you can speak in tongues. I don't enjoy talking to you when I can understand you. So the whole point is, if you don't have love, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter because it's always about you. You're how good you are, how great you are. You're better than everybody else. And quite frankly, nobody wants to, nobody's growing in Christ from you. That's what Paul's saying. So then what he's going to do is he says in chapter 12, 31, let me show you in a more excellent way. It's the most excellent way. And he says, let me show you. But again, 1 Corinthians is built on a foundation we established earlier. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, I, I, wherever I go, know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So this excellent way is basically an outgrowth of the cross. So everything we're going to talk about, all of the stuff of love, which is, Verses 4 through 7, all the stuff of love actually is an outgrowth of what was expressed on the cross. Primarily, when Jesus died, it was God's mercy holding back his wrath on us and grace giving us what we don't deserve. That's really the encapsulation of agape love. Agape love is God's love. In Romans 5, 5 says, this love that was expressed on the cross has been given to us by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's shed abroad in our heart. Meaning it's inside of us. So if it's inside of us, love and mercy should come out of us. Let me show you. What is the very first thing he says? Love is... That's mercy. All that is is God's mercy. To me, this, this bottom statement, it is, I don't know how to explain it to you, when you meditate in it, it's one of the most stunning, mind-blowing words Jesus ever said. It might be one of the, I, I still can't get over it, because you have to understand it in context. Jesus just got whipped, he just got spit on, he just had thorns like jammed on his head, and he's hanging naked, and he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they... Jesus, you're asking the Father to forgive the people who just crucified you? Yeah, 
that mercy, that's mercy concentrated. In the same way, I dare say it's the same thing love says. When somebody hurts you, you look at them and you say, God, forgive them. I mean, look around. Look around in this. Your job is to look at everybody in here and to look at them and say, God, forgive them. They don't know what they do. A lot of times people will, they don't really realize they're hurting me. Love is patient. And the idea of patience is is long-suffering, but it also has a second point. It's not just long-suffering to just suffer. It's long-suffering because you know God is still working in that person. A gardener will prune a rose bush. So my wife bought some rose bushes last year, and I pruned them all in April. Pruned them all down to the V. And they are still blooming in October. But the moment you prune them, they don't look like anything. They look just like a brown stem. But a gardener knows that they're going to eventually blossom. That's what patience does. It waits on retaliation, knowing God's working in that person while I give patience. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So, The cross has mercy, but it also has grace. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. That's what kindness is. Love is patient, but it's kind. Because really, truthfully, people will hurt you, and they don't deserve you to be kind to them. They don't. Nobody does. But can I ask you a question? Did you deserve the perfect Son of God to die for you? I mean, really? One of the most vile... One of the most vile things is when you really do believe you deserved Christ's death. It's one of the most vile thoughts you can have. Like, yeah, Jesus should have died for me. What? No, 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 no. You are are given grace to such a degree. Can't you do that to other people? And I know the thing has gone off for a second, but kindness has, has two things. It offers two things. Grace initiates God's love. That means that person, that person won't come to me loving, so I have to go to them loving. So kindness is giving warmth, hospitality, initiating it. And, and what I would say when anger comes, I give a cold glass of water to soothe them. Kindness is giving warmth and a cold glass of water. So you could say it like this. Initiates hospitality with a warm smile and a refreshing glass of water for a thirsty soul. That's grace. So those are the first two words. And then what he's going to do, he's he's going to go in depth to what it means now. If I have God's love shed abroad in my heart. Meaning, if I have Jesus Christ through a spirit living in me. That's really what it means to be a Christian. I have Jesus himself living in me, then the other things are implications of this reality. The first one is, um, I won't be jealous. It went off again. The first one is, I won't be jealous. If if Jesus lives in me, why would I be jealous? Because it says here, love is patient, kind, love does not envy. Envy means jealousy. 
why would Jesus be jealous when he has everything? He's God. So if God lives in me, I have everything. So why am I jealous? I was talking to, I went to a father-son retreat last week, and I was talking to Caleb Phillips. He's a younger guy. And Caleb Phillips went up to me after I was speaking, and I said something to this point. He goes, I realized this last year. I used to be Tom Brady, a Tom Brady nut. I'd wear his jersey everywhere, and I'd be, I wanted to be just like Tom Brady. And I saw an interview with him after he won the Super Bowl. And Tom Brady said, I'm still not satisfied. I'm still not happy with that. And he, in this, and Caleb said, but I'm happy in Christ. I realize I have more than him. Why, why do I look up to somebody who I already have what he doesn't? That's ex- that was profound to me. That's the point. So I shouldn't have anger when others have more. It talks about love is not angry. Love keeps no record of wrongs. There's no jealousy. Second thing about love is it doesn't boast. It doesn't need to. Because Jesus is God. God lives in me. He's the greatest thing in the world. Being in the world. It's funny. You can tell when people... See, boasting is pride. Is really what it means. Pride is a... I, have, I need to somehow prove I'm, I'm significant, I'm uh, talented, I'm special. So boasting is outward pride, arrogance is inward pride, it's conceit. And it says, does not boast, is not arrogant, but it's pride. But Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to grasp, but made himself nothing. The reason why is because he already was everything. If this... Jesus lives in you, why are you proud? And the way you can tell that he doesn't is you take offense like that. One writer has said, people who take offense because their pride has been wounded or punctured by some sharp truth or is defensive proves you haven't really died. Like seriously, if somebody criticizes you, if it pricks you like a balloon, pops a balloon, and it just, you're done. Is Jesus living you? Does he live in you? Do you have to be respected all the time? One writer says, Jesus never parades his gifts nor nurses his hurts. That's a powerful statement. Third thing is Jesus just isn't rude. Rudeness is the idea that I... I get irritated. I elbow my way in. I want everybody to know who I am. I need to be heard. One writer said, Jesus did not make virtue out of nonconformity. Some people love to be the nonconformist. I'm going to be different because I'm going to be different. Why? Jesus didn't live for shock value. He didn't need to, he never answered with sarcasm. Could you imagine Jesus being sarcastic? Like where he just rips people? That's rudeness. I don't think he would do something to embarrass his family just because he doesn't care. But uh, the final one is he doesn't insist, it says in here. It does not insist. In other versions will say he's not self-seeking. And I was reading a book, and it, this is fascinating. Because when I, we say the word love in our culture, we think of eros love. We jump to eros love. Eros love is romantic love. It's the love that almost every other song ever been written is about. 
Eros love, we call it romantic love. It's the love when I'm sitting at a dinner table and candlelight dinner and the person I'm going to dinner with is, looks beautiful. And really, I say I love her, but I love really the way she makes me feel. So Eros love is an empty love. I need somebody to fill me up. I need something to fill me up. And if I'm not filled up, I'm, 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 I'm helpless, I'm lost. Agape love is God's love, and it comes from a position of being already full. And his fullness wants to fill others. So I don't look for somebody to fill my needs. I look for somebody that I can serve. The two symbols of this, Eros love, the symbol is Cupid. Usually it's a fat baby, but it's really it's a Greek myth. Cupid was a hunter. We'll talk about that in a second. The symbol for agape love is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Cupid was known as a hunter, meaning his, he was charming, cunning, seductive, and he wants to possess the object for self-interest. He will even manipulate by using lies that sound true because he will get what he wants. So you, we, do, we see this in our culture all the time. I love you, will you sleep with me? No, 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 that's not love. That's not love. That's manipulation. That's manipulation. Cupid loves lying. Putting on, putting an outward appearance using filters on a phone, but inside I'm kind of corrupt. It's an illusion. Cupid's a master. Where agape is the hunted one, self-sacrificing the one, the one that's true. That's why it says it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but always rejoices with the truth. Why does God need to lie? Because he already has everything he wants. Satan's a liar because he doesn't have what he wants. Both kind of love. So, verse 7 ends by saying, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The point is that love when you have love, it just loves. It just loves. It's unconditional. It has no expectation. It endures. It hopes. It believes. It doesn't have requirements. It just loves. In the same way God loved me when I was a sinner, I should love others. Soren Kierkegaard put it like this. This kind of love is like a mother's love, which ceaselessly gives support and cut off, but to her child. Bears all things. What does that mean? You won't give up because they are whining at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, that a mother's love's incredible. Mother's love will keep going on even when the kid does the worst thing at school. They just love. We should love others like that. Believes all things means, it doesn't mean I believe in them or necessarily their lies to me, but I do believe that God is working in them. And I'm going to keep loving them knowing that God is going to change them. It's like the gardener. That's what patience is about. And love hopes that God will work all things together for good and hopes that this person's life is going to be taken care of by God. I don't, I don't have to control it. Hopes. I had some thoughts on the other end of this. Like if you reverse it, it really is a telltale thing. When you don't have love, you easily get tired of people. 
When you don't have love, you lose faith that God won't fix this person, they're, who they're always going to be, and he's not going to bring any good out of their life, so I'm done with them. When you don't have love, you just give up. You have no hope. We were talking as a staff. Somebody said how um, one person was talking to him. They went to another church and they came back. And the reason why, the pastor said, if you go to another church to find new life, if you're going there because you, the, there's a difference in belief or doctrine, that's okay. But if you're leaving a place because you have a disagreement with somebody or there's a difficulty you have with somebody, that's not necessarily a good reason to leave. I was thinking through this, and here's just a little thought. The moment I quit on someone because someone has made me mad is the moment love ceases. So the final part, the final part of the cookie, the bottom part, verses 8 through 13, is that love is eternal. It endures. Look at verse 8. Love never ends. Never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, and that's like heavenly language, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The point is, love is eternal. Love is eternal. What was happening in the Corinthians, they were speaking tongues, new tongues. Trevor talked last week that it wasn't necessarily the tongues of the book of Acts. The tongues of the book of Acts, when somebody spoke his language, everybody heard him in another language. You know, like French, German, Syrian. They heard him in their other language. He's saying that's not necessarily the tongues it talked about in 1 Corinthians. It's possibly a heavenly, angelic language. So the Corinthians would hear this language, and they would say, look, heaven has come to earth. They'd see miracles. Heaven has come to earth. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You want heaven to come to earth? Love, because that's heaven. So then what are gifts? What are gifts? So he's going to say, well, gifts are temporary, first of all. And then he says in verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in part a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So he's saying basically, gifts are kind of like toys for a child. Like in childhood, it's okay to have those toys. And in some sense, he's not saying let's get rid of gifts. They work for the purpose that they're intended for this age. And we'll talk about that next week a little bit. But it's not he's saying just get rid of gifts. But he's saying gifts are a signpost leading you down the road to the better thing, the more excellent way. Love. Gifts are given temporarily to lead you to what is permanent. And this whole idea of looking in the mirror, back then when they made mirrors, you could look in them, they're kind of like the mirror. Our mirrors are really clear, but you would see secondhand a reflection. He's saying when we go to heaven and we see firsthand, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, ah, but then when we get to see Jesus face to face, we will be known, we will know fully and be known, know in full. Really what we're going to see is love personified in the face of Christ. He's love. He is love. This is the goal. Love is both for now and later, and we will see him and no longer be told what love 
is light. We will behold it. As one writer has said, when the sun rises, all other lights are extinguished. I just want to go, before I do my final point, Just I want to say something about this political election, this political season. What does love look like in politics? What's that? You said no one knows. <laughs> ah, very wise, grasshopper. Very true. Here, I'll just give you some thoughts. Love is kind to those who disagree with you. Love does not lash out when it loses. Love does not rub it in when it wins. Love moves on in peace once the votes are counted. Love hopes and knows God is still sovereign. So I would say, how do we practically apply this? Number one, I believe when it comes to voting, vote your convictions. Vote what you personally believe is best for the country. It's your vote. Nobody else's, yours. Second thing is don't vote out of spite. Spite means don't vote for Freudenschwein, which means so it makes other people mad or because I'm mad at other people. Don't vote for reasons that you're trying to prove something. Vote because you think it's the best thing, the most loving thing for the country. And then the third thing is cast your cares on Jesus along with your vote because Psalm 11. And if you're really worried about this, read Psalm 11. Read Psalm 11 Tuesday morning. Read Psalm 11 Tuesday night and cling to it. It's an amazing psalm. So the final question is, do you love? Who cares if you can speak in tongues? Who cares if you can give all your money away to the poor? Who cares how smart you are if your theology is right? The question is, do you love? Look how it ends in verse 13. So now faith, faith believes that God exists right now, even though I don't see him. Hope believes that God rewards, even though sometimes i got to wait. But love, love abides. That means it's both now and forever. Do you love? You have to answer that.